On this week's Patriot Nation podcast, we are talking cornerbacks this week. We are getting into the depth chart at cornerback, probably one of the most loaded positions on the team, perhaps even in the league. But there is a few question marks there uh, about, you know, some guys that might step up, some guys that might drop off. And so it's a pretty good conversation. We do also welcome on Keegan Stiefel. He is a new writer for Pat's Pulpit, so we're excited to have him on. And we talk about whether you had to choose, if you had to choose, luckily we don't have to, but if you had to choose between the first three Super Bowls and the second three Super Bowls, which one would you choose? It's a great conversation. So buckle up and cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands. He has it. Wilson, quick throw. And it's intercepted. Intercepted to Malcolm Butler. Bags, we're back. Another week closer to football and basketball might be coming back. Baseball might be coming back. We don't know what's going on. And Hockey's Anthony back, Fauci, shut, shut your mouth, Anthony Fauci. Shut your hey, mouth. Football's yeah. happening. Stay That's out it. of the news. It's well, it, the funny thing oh. was, too, it's like it, it, people posted that thing that they had to wear those. They might have to wear those special helmets. They look like dirt bike yeah. helmets. And I think I, I could be wrong. I think it was Quan Alexander. Somebody in the NFC West, I, I don't quote me on that, had posted like, he's like, nah, bro, we ain't, we ain't wearing this shit. Like, no way. <laughs> Have fun telling those guys. Like, you can't breathe in those. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. come on. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So we are also welcoming on Keegan. Keegan, my friend, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. And, uh, and welcome to the crew, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's get right into it. Let's get right into the cornerback situation. The cornerback depth chart in New England, if it's not the best in the league, it is at the very worst, the top five, top five in the league. You have Stephon Gilmore at the top, Jason McCourty, Jonathan Jones, JC Jackson, those top four right there. I might take over anyone else's top four in the entire league. Uh, those four guys just absolutely dominant. You look at PFF, uh, you know, grading them out. Obviously Gilmore was the player, the defensive player of the year last year was unbelievable. Uh, but then you have some other guys beyond them. And those are guys that we're really going to kind of focus on here. Joe Williams, the second round draft pick last year out of Vanderbilt, uh, big dude. I thought he was going to take the Pat Chung role and they draft Kyle Duggar to play the Pat Chung role. So now I don't know what the hell is going to go on with Joe Williams. Uh, Justin Bethel, is Matthew Slater. Justin Bethel is Matthew Slater of the cornerback depth chart. So we can throw him out and basically say he's a special teams guy. But there are some guys at the end. Spags, Jawan Williams is the guy I want to talk about first. What do you think, man? Yeah, when we had when we kind of talked yesterday, but what we were going to talk about, and we've been kind of taking it by, you know, position group each week. That's kind of how we've treated our off seasons. It's been super boring. Um, but I think Jerry Thornton said it uh, best in his article with Demir Bird. It's like, Okay, June, July is is like primetime football. You you have your draft profiles. You, you you pretty much have your roster set, maybe a, a late addition here or there before training camp, depending on injuries. 
But this is when you start diving into some of the newer guys that they signed and, and kind of hyping up guys. And cornerback, right? I mean, they they really didn't upgrade because they didn't have to, right? You said it there. They, that that top four have fun receivers, really. I mean, when you look at it on paper, John Jones is probably technically your number four corner, and he's a top three slot corner in the game. I mean, I, I've I've loved him. I've been on this. We've done this podcast for two years. You can yep. vouch for me. He's he's my guy. Mm-hmm. I love him. I love the role he plays. He plays hard. He's fast. He's physical. He's strong. Um, but yeah, as you, you know what I mean. So those top four are set. They're gonna play every you know on different packages, they're going to play pretty much every snap, but then it gets interesting, right? Like Jawan Williams, like you said, second round pick out of Vanderbilt, didn't get much time last year as a rookie because who's in front of him? What was he going to find time on the field right there? They had arguably the best defense in the league for the better of the season. Now he's coming into year two, second round pick a lot to prove. Like you said, I, I, there was reports come out. I think last month that he had been, you know, training at safety this off season and, I kind of assumed, I think a lot of people did, right? That he was going to take over that Pat Chung role. He's a big, big corner, physical, almost, I picture him maybe taking over that Brandon Brown role in 2014 that we saw, which was so, you know, valuable to that defense. But you go out and you yep. draft Kyle Duggar. I know you get, um, you know, Phillips from the Chargers, who's more of a free safety. He'll probably take over that Deron Harmon role a little bit. But it's interesting because it's, it, how is he going to find time on the field? And we, you know, the... Jason McCourty signed, was it a two-year deal or a one-year deal? I mix him and Devin up all the time. I know Devin's a two. Um, he, obviously, he's at the tail end of his career. Are they going to give him the same amount of snap counts this year? Can he handle it health-wise? And is, you know, is he, can he do it still? Who knows? Juwan Williams needs to find a way on the field, man. It's, it, it, and it's a head-scratcher at that position. Why did they draft him there? Who knows? Maybe they had, you know, better plans. But like you said, you bring in Duggar, who's, He's your safety. He's that guy who's going to come down, play in the box, play on bigger guys, take on tight ends, um, you know, get after the quarterback at that position. But it's interesting. I, it's it's unknown right now what his role is. I guess he's going to have to go out and earn it. Right. Now, Keegan, McCourty is a guy I want to talk about because he did sign a two-year, $10 million contract last offseason. Okay, that's Patriots. what it was. So, so he was back. Right. So you look at it, okay. Exactly, exactly. So he's, he's up after this year. I, you know, hurt. At some points last year, obviously the defense was better with him than without him. Do you think there's any chance he takes a step back and that's where Williams is able to kind of step in and play or maybe even Jackson bumps him out? Um, you know, what are your thoughts on on Jason McCourty? And if you have some thoughts on on, uh, on Williams as well. Well, I think that's exactly where Williams's role is going to come from. It's going to be just those Jason McCourty snaps that McCourty's not going to be able to play. I think... I think when they drafted Williams last year, they assumed that he was going to be able to play that that third corner, and then J.C. Jackson just took a leap. and And I think personally, he's the number two corner on the team, like without a doubt. For sure, um, I don't. I don't think you get a better bang for your buck in the NFL than you do with him. Maybe there might be a couple guys around the league, but he's top tier in terms of how much you're paying him and what you're getting out of him. So I think. I think you've got your one and two corners are set and John Jones is your your slot corner and he's he's an animal at that position. So I think McCourty he's gonna take those reserve snaps for the most part. And when he's not able to take those snaps, he struggled with that groin last year and I, I don't think that's something that goes away. So I think that's where Williams is, is gonna be put, um, for the most part, but also I, I saw it uh, last year described as a guinea pig year for Williams where they moved him around a ton in the preseason. 
He played just about every secondary position you could. I think this year they're going to go all in on that. I think they're going to put him everywhere and just kind of see where he sticks, see what his strengths are um, at this level. And just they're, they're going to put him out there and they're, it's kind of sink or swim for him this year, I think. Yeah, and it gets right. interesting too, I think, because J.C. Jackson is a restricted free agent at the end of this year, right? Um, I believe, I don't have his contract in front of me, Stephon Gilmore is also up after this year. J.C. Jackson did switch. He's got two more years? Two okay. Years, yeah. Huge cap hit. So, I mean, that's a restructured guy that we're kind of waiting for that to happen with the, with their current cap situation. But J.C. Jackson just switched over to Drew Rosenhaus this offseason as his agent. It gets interesting. Do, the, do you know, do they restructure Gilmore? Do they... Uh, extend him to to move some money around. Do they let Jackson walk and let you know Jawan Williams kind of blossom into that cornerback two role? Uh, but it, it, it's a good problem to have. Put it that way. I mean, when you have those those four guys and then you have a second round pick, I know we haven't seen much out of them, and their terrible history of drafting defensive backs in the second round isn't isn't helping the case right now. But um, if Jawan Williams is number five on your depth chart, you're doing something right. Right. That's a good point. It's a good point. And, and, you know, I think that that's really kind of the question is, number one, are you going to be able to bring back JC Jackson next year for the, you know, for the amount it's going to take to bring him back? Gilmore, to me, is a necessity. You have to have him on the team. And so if you're not going to be able to restructure with Gilmore to get him to a cap hit that's favorable for you and also bring JC Jackson back. And remember, the cap was supposed to explode next year, and it's not going to. Probably right after this whole COVID thing, there's no way that the cap is going to go up as much as we as we have first anticipated, and so of course that's going to hurt the Patriots in this situation. Michael Lombardi because... actually said on his podcast, not to cut you off, Pat, that he he okay. he thinks it may stay the same, if not even go a little bit lower, because of, if there's no fans and they don't have a normal season, right? It's it's almost almost impossible. Yeah, and so that's that's obviously a very challenging thing for the Patriots. And so, you know, and again, for the Patriots who have guys that are coming up do that, they're going to have to pay, you know? And so, and so we'll kind of see how that works out. Now, the one thing, and you know, you say Brandon Browner and it brings back memories to 2014 and, and how dominant he was with his physicality on the outside. And I think Jackson does a great job and Gilmore does a great job too, of playing physical without necessarily being that big body guy. Uh, can run as well, but also gets physical with receivers. They do a great job of doing that. I don't know if that's necessarily uh, needed from Juwan Williams as much. And so we'll see. Can he sneak into that role? Let's hope. Um, but, you know, but we'll see what happens. The guy I want to talk about, though, is D'Angelo Ross. D'Angelo Ross, second-year cornerback, uh, was an undrafted free agent last year. And he's a guy who played at New Mexico, of all places. But he ran a 4-3-4-40, had a th- uh, had a 39-inch vertical leap and a 10-foot broad jump. The kid is an athlete. He got hurt midway through training camp, but he was making plays at the beginning of training camp, similar to Malcolm Butler, who came in, undrafted kid, who no one had ever heard of, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, this kid's over here making plays all over the place. Now, he only lasted like a, a few weeks in training camp, so it was he wasn't doing it the whole time. But he gets stashed on IR. He comes back this year. He's a good candidate to be that backup slot role slash, um, you know, slash special teams guy. And Justin Bethel is a phenomenal special teams guy. And having him and Slater on the field at the same time is almost unfair. But I wonder if Ross can play special teams even as even close to what Bethel can do. 
and also can actually play at the, uh, you know, in the slot, he could be a candidate to knock Bethel out of that spot and and take his roster spot. Sorry, I didn't <laughs> kick it anyone there. Either you could take that. Sorry. Go ahead, Keegan. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, I um, I like Ross a lot. I think. People saw uh, Miles Bryant get signed as an undrafted free agent, and they kind of just slotted him in as the guy who's going to compete for that backup slot role. But what does he bring on special teams? Like, I don't know if he played any special teams at Washington, and he's not not a big guy. He's 5'9", a buck 80. He's not not Justin Bethel, I'll I'll say that, on special teams. And he's he's a guy who struggled – a lot in open space at Washington. I was watching a lot on him earlier today. And it's just, it's, if you get him in the open field, he's, he's lost. And he, that's why he works so well inside. But in the NFL, you can't hide a guy on the inside. And I think Ross, Ross has a chance to push Bryant right out from kind of the, the place that he, where he was signed, the, the, the role he was signed to fill. Um, and I don't know if it's just as a camp body or, or if, if they're looking for him to be one of those two practice squad guys who who gets called up on game days, um, which right. I've been super interested in as well. Just if you can if you can stash him on Ross on your practice squad and bring him up on game days so he can be a special teams guy and he can he can play that backup John Jones role. I mean, you can't get better a better athlete than that. So that that's a good spot for him, I think. Yeah, and I think too you you mentioned it a little bit. Obviously, there's rumors or you know reports that came out last night that they're going to extend the practice squad and you know have those guys available on Sundays, which I think is great with you know what's going on and it's almost ine- inevitable at this point. But um, yeah, I mean that Justin Bethel and and Matthew Slater, those are your two leaders of that best special teams unit. You know how much Bill values that that part of the game. They win they win two or three games on it a year. Right. So you almost you almost have to make him a lock. And I know he's kind of in that Slater situation where he's listed as a cornerback and Slater's listed as a wide receiver, but they're not technically, you know, taking up spots there. They're locks in the on the roster. But yeah, I think I mean that the train goes on. It's been what, sixteen straight years with an undrafted free agent making the team. Obviously, there's a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. I think Jeff Thomas is probably a favorite to make the team, considering, you know, the lack of speed and and depth at that position but you know Nick Coe is another guy who's a DN out of Auburn but you know wouldn't surprise me if this is the year they take three even four undrafted free agents I mean last year was did they take two it was Gunner Jacoby the year before you know I mean they'll they'll take two three guys so I mean like I said it's it's a possibility and John Jones went down last year with the groin. Jason McCourty obviously has his groin history. You can never have enough depth, especially at the quarterback position with the way the game's played now. Right. No, I agree hundred percent. And so, you know, and we'll see what happens with Ross there. I just think, I think it makes sense. And like you said, Spags, I think, you know, Bethel and Ross being on the roster probably makes more sense than, than just Ross or even just Bethel. Um, what I'm interested in seeing with that practice squad spot is, do they have to go through waivers to get onto it, right? If they're going to be available on game day, do you have to put a guy through the waiver process to get them into those two spots in the practice squad? That's what I'm curious about because you see guys like Kenny Moore, right, and guys like Craven LeBlanc who the Patriots cut, hoping to sneak them through the practice squad. 
and they weren't able to do that. And so, you know, if Ross is a guy that continues to make plays, he's going to turn some heads. And if he does that, then, you know, he's going to, and you know how the Patriots are, right? Everyone sees these undrafted guys coming from the Patriots and they say, shoot, let's take a shot because if they make a plays with the Patriots, they can make plays everywhere. And so, um, so I, I'd be cautious about, you know, obviously assuming that he continues to do what he was doing in training camp last year, I'd be cautious about cutting him with the hope to get him back in the practice squad. If we can hold on to him and keep him as those extra two slots and you don't have to cut a guy to get them, to get him there, I think it'd be nice. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, look, the cornerback spot this year, assuming that nothing happens, right? Assuming nothing catastrophic happens, there's no, you know, serious injuries, anything like that, is going to be, again, a dominant por- portion of what the Patriots do. And the defensive secondary last year was was dominant. Um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about linebacker and what that's going to look like. but um, you know, corner this year, I just think, again, you're going to, you're looking at a top, you know, a top five, you know, a top five group in the league. And speaking on their secondary, like everyone talks about how they lost big pieces on defense, but it's really strictly the linebacker position, right? Like Deron Harmon was great at his role. The closer always came up with those big picks, but you replaced him with a better player in Phillips. And then, you know, you draft a Duggar who, you know, probably won't see much time. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, who knows how healthy Pat Chung is? He's obviously getting up there. You get Chung back, you get McCordy back, you have the same cornerback crew. Secondary is still going to be the anchor of that defense, just like it was last year. It's going to be tough to 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 throw the ball on the Patriots. And I know they didn't face um the best quarterbacks um, you know, what was it, the first six weeks of the year they faced like you know, three rookies and Fitzpatrick and Don like Luke Falk played. You know, it wasn't the best, but I mean, up until the end, the, the the secondary was never the issue. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, let's get into this to this other question that we have here, and uh, this is an Alex Barth gave us this one, and so I'm going to give him a little shout out for that. Uh, good friend, friend of the program. Um, he threw something out on Twitter, and I just thought it was it was crazy. It's one of those stupid like you know like retweet things, you know, where it's like like for this, retweet for that, and there's a, usually a comment for that, but there's no. There's only two groups of three Super Bowls as opposed to as opposed to three groups of three. It's just, you know, unfortunately. Um, but what he was saying is that as a group, you pick the first three Super Bowls or the second three Super Bowls. So that would be 36, 38, and 39, or 39, 41, and uh, sorry, 30, 49, 51, and 53. So um, now not just the games either also the entire season. So I think that that's, um, that's interesting. So what I want to do, I'm going to go from, from youngest to oldest. So Keegan, we're going to start with you and then we're going to go to right. and then we'll, and we'll go to me as well. Uh, I'm the old statesman. I can, I can, uh, I can remember the time in 2001, you guys were like, you know, three and four. So, uh, so let's, let's shoot it to you first. I want, I want your opinion on it. And again, not just the games, but also the, the full season, the full, the full experience. So I've got to go with the second three. Um, it's probably obvious. I, I saw the second three happen. I didn't see the first three happen, or, or I didn't remember much of it. Um, but I did, as soon as I saw that tweet, even though it was the Super Bowl logos, I just thought of the rosters. And if we were talking about the rosters, I would absolutely go with the first three because you've got, I mean, you've got Hall of Famers on those rosters. You've got Patriots Hall of Famers. You've got some of the, you know, some of the best players of their generation on those teams and on all three of them. I mean, 
those rosters were ridiculous. But then in terms so of the seasons people. and the games, the, the Super Bowls themselves, I think 49 and 51 are probably two of the top three Super Bowls of all time. Um, for me, um, I know other people will talk about like Super Bowl six or something, but those two games are, are two of the fav- my favorite games I've ever watched, obviously. Um, yeah. Then Super Bowl 53, that season, in terms of uh, how how old I was and where I was getting in my life, I, it was only two years ago, but I was starting to get into trying to do what I'm doing now and just following along with everything and and living and, and breathing the Patriots for a full year. And that's probably my favorite season I've watched. So I've I've got to go with the second three, unfortunately. I was I was a two three. Nothing unfortunate. Nothing to apologize. Nothing to apologize for. There is there is not a wrong choice here. There is not a wrong choice. So no. uh, So okay, I like it. So second three, Spags. What do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's similar, right? I mean, the first memory I have of the dynasty, I was four, five, five years old. And I don't really remember much from the first one. I do remember my parents jumping up and down. We had a bunch of people here. Ty lost pick six, right? Mm-hmm. So I do have some fond memories and, and, you know, the little bit there. But I do remember the Panthers won. You know, that was obviously two years later. And then obviously the Philly one, I believe I was seven and eight. So I had some memories there. But for me, yeah. it's like I always tell this story. It's crazy. And it's something I'll be able to tell my grandkids when that when the day comes. But I was in college for... Uh, so I was a junior in high school for Super Bowl 49, watched that with a friend. That was insane. I mean, first Super Bowl I really got to cherish because it had been so many, like, you know, 10 years and two crushing losses to the Giants that I obviously witnessed and cried and didn't go to school about. Um, and that was like the first one. And then, like you said, the seasons, right? I mean, 2014, that team was just, they were loaded. I mean, they had so much Revis and Browner. That was the first time they really, I mean, I guess Tlaib too, he kind of changed the cornerback position in New England. But Revis was that first time they had a legit proven superstar on defense at the cornerback position that they had acquired. Browner was great. They had Hightower, Chandler Jones, Gronk and Edelman were finally healthy for a Super Bowl and they, you know, showed out. And then 2016, like that, that's got to be one of the best seasons. I mean, it depends who you talk to, right? But Brady yeah. gets suspended and, you know, the Goodell and all that. And he comes back, should have won the MVP that year. They they blow everybody out in the playoffs, go to, you know, go down 28-3, come marching back. And then obviously the last one's just the icing on the cake, right? Tom gets his six, ties Jordan. They're tied for the most Super Bowls in the league you know, six and 19, 20 years, whatever it is, it's got to be the last three, just because, like I said, I was old enough to really remember. And and back to the college story, I went, to, when I was in college, I saw three Super Bowls. They obviously won two, the Red Sox won and the Bruins played in the cup. So like, it, it's just like, it's a domino effect. I have to pick that, you know? And I, like I yeah. said, I was, the, and obviously the last two years, the last two, we had, we were covering the team for, for pulpit, um, for, right for the Rams year. And then, you know, I'd started doing it full time for another site, um, that Atlanta year. So I guess that was the year I really focused on football and started really cherishing the team and, and, you know, everything that comes with it. Right. Look, I'd like to, I'd love to sit here and as the old guy and, and say that, you know, the first three is, is a runaway winner because funny enough, right. I was about, I was about your age 
when those things happen. So I was a senior in high school when they won in 01 and I was in college when they won in 03 and 04. And so I remember those things. What's crazy about it for me is that when you think back to that time, you know, in 01, they hadn't, there hadn't been a championship in Boston since the Celtics won in 86. And I, I was two in 86. And so I didn't remember 86. And of course, you know, the Patriots had gotten blown out in, in the Super Bowl. Um, and no one really had really done anything since. And so it was kind of this thought that we were just losers, that we were never going to win anything. And then that that championship in 01 changed everything. That famous on the Patriot Ledger, remember the, the famous newspaper cover that was like, it was yeah. Burns, it was like City of Losers. And it was yeah. Belichick, oh, this team sucks. And uh, yep. Brady Little was coach, or I didn't even know who the Red Sox manager was. Burns was no, the coach sure of, the, Brady, of the... Yeah. yeah, Burns was the coach of the... Um, Bruins and I forget Bruins, yeah. they they were all a mess. They were all a mess. Yes. Yes, they were. They were. And that's the thing. Patino, I think, was was Patino there in 01. Yeah, I think was. Patino was, was there in 01. So yes. Um, Sorry, Bird's not walking through that door. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. That was I think 99. But but yeah, he was there for a few years. He was oh god, he was terrible. But but you know, it was like it was like we could never win anything. And when we finally won, and, and you know, the thing about 01 is that. 6,000 things had to happen for the Patriots to win the Super Bowl in 01. It was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, I remember a play in Buffalo. They had to win out to get the bye, and they played in Buffalo, and David, I think it was David Patton, caught a pass down the right sideline, and he got knocked out cold, just completely knocked out cold. But he landed out of bounds, and the ball was touching his leg. And because he was out of bounds and the ball was touching him, the ball was out of bounds. And so, therefore, it stayed Patriots ball instead of the Bills getting the ball back. And they end up going down. Antoine Smith runs it in for touchdown, and they win the game. And it was just like, that could never happen. Like, that could never happen, you know? And the snow game, I mean, being at the snow game was just, it was just unbelievable. It was a moment like I've never experienced in my life before. And I've told this story before on the podcast, but I'll tell it again. But like, you know, Brady, Brady has the fumble or the tuck rule. And my, my dad and my uncle and I look at each other like, Oh crap, the season's over. Like really thought, really thought like we had a chance here. And then they announced, they they announced they're going to review it. And Phil Collins in the air tonight comes on the, comes on. And starts playing over the speakers. And we're, we all, all three of us look at each other and we're like, no way. Like, that's not actually going to happen. Is it like something's crazy? Like, it, we just felt it in the air. Like, literally felt it in the air. Like, this is going to happen. Like, the song is playing. Like, something's crazy is going to happen. And he comes out and we went nuts. And, of course, they win. And it's, you know, the greatest kick in, in the history of the NFL as far as I'm concerned. And so, you know, so many moments there. And, again, for the whole city of Boston to kick off, you know, the Red Sox break the curse a few years later. And then of course, you know, after that, the Celtics finally break through and and the Bruins break through. And so you have all these different things going on. And so those first three years are just so amazing. And for them to win three out of four, including back to back, it was just, they were unstoppable. And the guys they had, you know, Keegan, you mentioned, I'm like, Corey Dillon and Teddy Bruschi and Mike Rabel and Roman. I mean, man, Willie, and you go down the list and you're like, all these guys are so good. And so for me, I think I'm going to have to go with the first three just because of that. But man, those last three, especially 2016 for me is the one where it's like, we were all like screw Goodell and we got the clown towels and we all hated them. And then for them to win it that year, 
I mean, you get two of the greatest games ever played, you know, and, and it was just, it was nuts. And what people don't know about 01, a lot of people forget about 36. We are a holding call from Willie McGinnis away from a blowout victory, right? The, the, yep. the Rams have the ball at the goal line. Warner gets stripped to Bucky Jones, picks it up, runs it for a touchdown, and they're murdering them. The game's get the game gets blown out, and Willie gets called for a hold. And so it comes back on the Rams score. They were down 14 at that point. So the Patriots of 21, game was over. And so um, you know, that was really that was really kind of an unbelievable game to go back and forth. And of course they win. And I just can't you can't understand how insane it was because you know, because, and for me, I was only 18, so I couldn't even understand it. But like for my dad, who had literally been there when they cheered, not like fake cheers, like literally cheered for the Patriots in the third quarter when they passed the 50 yard line, like they were that bad in the 60s and 70s. They were a joke. And for them to like, they were getting chased out of town and Kraft saves them. And then for them to win, it was just, it was unbelievable. And so for that reason and to kick off kind of this, this, two decades of dominance from Boston sports. I have to go with the first three. Yeah. Not a wrong All pick, right. right? I mean, like I said, that Pat's <sighs> right. problems, like you can't exactly in each, each, each one of them is so special, right? Like it's just something that happened that right. year and right. no one else can understand what we're talking about. <laughs> no. And that's it. But you know, what's crazy about it is that every year, right? You fall in love with the Patriots team. And, and, and I think, you know, if you're if you're a big besides enough fan, last year, besides last uh, year, well, that that's what I was gonna say. Like some years, some years more so than others. Right? Oh yeah, but like, I'm just I'm giving you a hard time. No, 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 but but that's what I'm saying. Especially when they make a run like that, you fall in love with those teams, and you're like, you know, you pick out random guys that are like not big name guys, and you're like, oh, I love that guy. You know, Otis Smith was a guy in the '90s. I was like, I love Otis. Just I just loved Otis Smith because why not? He's like one of those guys, you know, and so. I feel like you have those guys you feel a connection to and you have that every year and you think back to like, Oh, that game. And Oh my God, this game. And so it's, it's so much fun doing it and to pick, it's like picking your favorite child. I mean, I could do it, but I don't really want to, you know? <laughs> yep, definitely. So, <laughs> I, I unfortunately can't relate to that. Yet, <laughs> yeah. me. Hopefully not, not anytime soon. Not listen. <laughs> That's not an unfortunately from you. That's a, I thankfully <laughs> yeah, not relate yes, to that yet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. I think that just about does it. Keegan, man, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. It's been a fun, it's been a fun conversation, my friend. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Of course, it. man. Before you leave, get, let everyone know where we can, obviously, we know you can read you on Pat's Pulpit, but where else can they interact with you? Um, I'm on Twitter. I don't like anything else. I think they're all, all other forms of social media are ridiculous. Twitter at Keegan Stiefel. Um, you probably won't be able to spell it, but I assume you'll be able to find it in the description. See, there you go. Uh, Keegan's yep. followed by Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande follows Keegan. Why? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why. Who cares why? She follows him, so you should do. That admits. Yeah, follow by the way, Twitter and, and ask me the story. You know, I won't tell you, but yeah. you can ask. That's it. Bro, let me tell you something. We were talking off air. That's your grade, And I was man. like, Right, we were, we were talking. Maybe they had a maybe they had a magical evening one night in Boston. You never know. She's done a few shows here. Um, yeah, but but um, we were talking off air before before we started, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Ariana's like super popular. She must have like two and a half million followers on Twitter." And Keegan looked it up. She has seventy five million. I can't seventy five million. That blows my mind that someone would have that many followers. It's insane. 
So I didn't even know there were 75 anyways, million people on Twitter. So that's what I'm saying, dude. It's like everyone on Twitter follows <laughs> pretty much. So it's nuts. Anyways, all right, guys, that does it for us. We appreciate it, and we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll talk to you soon.